Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Erin Forster, Associate Professor and Director of the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina. I did my training in gastroenterology at the University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital and completed a master's in public health focusing on nutrition at Johns Hopkins. I have clinical interests in population health as it relates to IBD and optimizing system-wide care delivery and particularly infusion protocols. And my co-host for AGA's podcast on increasing diversity in IBD trials is Dr. Ayana Lewis. Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Ayana Lewis. Before we get started, I'd like to share a little bit about my background. I completed my gastroenterology training at the State University of New York at Stony Brook in Long Island, New York. I then went on to do a one-year clinical research fellowship at the San Antoine IBD Center in Paris, France. Following this, I did an advanced year of inflammatory bowel disease at the University of Miami, and I am currently the director of the inflammatory bowel disease program at Mount Sinai Morningside and West Hospitals in New York City. I am passionate about delivering equitable care to patients with inflammatory bowel disease from diverse backgrounds, and I have an interest in the role of obesity in inflammatory bowel disease. In this six-part series, Dr. Forrester and I will speak with a variety of stakeholders about diversity in the clinical trials workforce and in clinical study participation. On today's episode, we're going to discuss how diversifying participation in clinical trials starts with diversifying our workforce. Our guests are Drs. Freddie Caldera and Jana Alhashash, who, along with Dr. Lewis and me, were part of the inaugural class of participants in AGA's GI Clinical Trialists Boot Camp Program. Absolutely. It's wonderful to have them both on our first episode. To begin, I'd like to introduce Dr. Freddie Caldera, who is an associate professor in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. He completed his GI fellowship at the University of Kentucky Medical Center and received an MS in clinical investigation at the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Caldera is a physician scientist whose research interests focus on vaccine-preventable illnesses and vaccine response in immunosuppressed patients with IBD. And it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Jana Alhashash, who is an associate professor of medicine at the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. She completed her GI fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and received her MSc in clinical research from the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Alhashash is a physician scientist interested in clinical and translational research related to IBD and has published over 150 peer-reviewed scientific manuscripts as well as several book chapters. Freddie and Jana, thank you both for joining us today. Can we start with each of you sharing how you became interested in IBD and what led you to pursue clinical research? Sure. So I specifically remember when that happened. I was a second-year gastroenterology fellow. And actually, at that time, we had a, at the University of Kentucky, we had a very clinical IBD program. We saw tertiary, coronary, we saw very sick people. And at that time, I really 
didn't like IBD because I always thought it was very complicated and hard to determine who was sick. And we were doing our open access endoscopy and I diagnosed a patient and my staff at that time said, do you want to see her in clinic? So we overbooked a clinic. We started her on therapy and she got better. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can't believe you can do this in medicine. We're used in medicine at times, like this small rewards at time. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. And at that time, I was, I liked advanced endoscopy. And I'm like, no advanced endoscopy. This is what I want. And as far as being interested in the clinical trials and clinical investigation, I mean, it was something I was very interested in. And I came to UW knowing that I didn't have the expertise at all. I had a good clinical IBD background, but I knew in order to succeed, I was going to need more education. So my division chief at the time, who's currently still my chief, was willing to invest in me so and get a master's in clinical investigation. I met my primary mentor at the time, who now became my collaborator, and it's been great. I'm one dissertation away from finishing my PhD. That's yeah. phenomenal, Freddie. Yeah, what about so you, Donna? Yeah, that's great. And we do have one small similarity, which I'll share with you in a little bit, about being perplexed about inflammatory bowel disease and feeling, oh my goodness, I don't know enough about this. But for me, my interest actually started in clinical research when I was in medical school. And I spent the year after graduating from medical school as a clinical research fellow. I was really fascinated by medicine, by how much everybody around me knew, but then recognized how many unanswered questions there were, how diagnosing certain illnesses or treating and following up patients. Many times you'd see variability in the way people manage patients because there was lack of consensus. And so really there was a lot to be done. And the most logical way to answer these questions was through research. I became involved in research during medical school. And then, like I mentioned, I did a year after and was so happy to see how much it really impacted patients or when patients go through all their medications. And then you have a research trial where you're like, there's this one thing that we can try and how much fulfillment you got from even just mentioning there is hope. And there is another option for our patients. I was equally fascinated about gastroenterology. I loved the field itself. I also was fascinated by being able to diagnose the patient through a scope, sometimes treat right there and then, especially if you know you had a bleeding ulcer, et cetera. But IBD itself, I felt that it was a field by itself that we had so many unanswered questions and still have so many unanswered questions and so many opportunities to move the field forward. And really, that's what attracted me to the field and the hope that maybe one day we can impact the outcomes of our patients in a positive manner. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I wanted to ask you both, what are some of the key challenges for you as clinical investigators in GI? So I can go first and mention that one of the biggest challenges I have personally is time, is finding time to be able to think of an idea, design a trial, and then execute the idea. 
as all of us know, clinical medicine and patient needs come first. And of course, our research focuses on that. But to be able to write a grant, try to get funding, meet with your research team, make sure that everything is progressing in the right direction and as planned, meet with your collaborators. Time is the biggest challenge for me. Of course, money comes right after, but time, I can't stress how important that is and how much of a challenge it is to be able to get protected time to do research. Freddie, do you agree? I definitely agree. I mean, I think it's funny when you think, hey, what would I do if I could start all over again? And I think it depends who you're talking to, right? Like we've hired some junior faculty at Wisconsin and I tell them, you can learn from my mistakes. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think initially, you know, if I was a young trainee or early faculty member, I got some great advice. One of my initial mentors, not in IBD, but just in academic medicine was Dr. Arnie Wald. And I would come up to Dr. Wald. I still got to call him Dr. Wald. And I'm like, Arnie, I have this idea. And he's like, Freddie, focus. And that's all he would tell me. Or he's like, I can do this. And he's like, really? Is that what you want to do? And at least focusing and picking a niche was a challenge for me because it's also finding like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? Because along the way, you learn that in order to try and answer important questions, you're really competing against all these great, intelligent people that at times you feel like imposter syndrome, right? Like, why am I going to get the grant? And then you talk to all these people and they're like, do you know how many grants I write that get rejected? And you're like, oh, wow, you're human too. So I think a key challenge for any investigator is if you don't have a niche, it's finding that that way. If you're going against these other great people in the field, they want to pick you because this is what you do. So along with time and money and all the competing interests we have, Excellent. I think I had similar advice when I was coming up through GI fellowship and actually our AGA president-elect and Dr. Lewis's Ayana and my mentor, Dr. Maria Breu, she said clinical work is like a gas. It will fill any space that you give it. And so she would suggest dedicating 20 to 30 minutes in the morning with no electronic input And just sitting and writing, organizing your thoughts and giving yourself that time because otherwise the time will escape you. But I think, you know, we're all here today because we find clinical trials and clinical investigation rewarding. What do you guys find as the most rewarding or motivating features about being a clinical investigator in GI? For me, having options for our patients and having options for our patients is the most number one, rewarding step, but even seeing that they actually respond and do better is the biggest reward. You know, we have the privilege to take care of patients who are very sick, who've seen so many people before, who are really very ill and have failed multiple therapies or have failed multiple procedures. For them to come in and ask you for your opinion and you being able to propose a specific clinical trial for them or another option for them is by itself a reward. Just that factor of hope and hopefully 
from us that this thing that we're offering them, whether it's a treatment or a new procedure, is going to improve their outcome. And in my mind, I agree. I mean, when I think of how we're advanced in the field, you know, where no one was talking about precision medicine when we had anti-TNFs alone. But now if you just think of the treatment of UC, right, and we have so many medical options that the only way we're going to advance the field so that, I mean, when I meet a new patient, I'm like, yeah, we have all these things and I can give you my best educated guess. But at the end of the day, I practice trial and error medicine. It feels bad saying it, but it's kind of true for now. You know, and I think all of us being involved in different kinds of research, obviously, I have a different research focus with vaccine, and that kind of drives my motivation when I'm tired or when I get a rejection. And it's kind of like when we did some of our COVID studies, then it was kind of surreal, like, wow, someone's actually going to read this paper. So I think all those become motivators to keep working at research because it's not easy for anyone. And just the way you can have impact on more than the patients you see. I think that's the biggest thing that it's kind of incredible, right? Like by you doing research, you can impact patients you'll never know. It definitely is a ripple effect. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it for sure. So there's a lot of effort underway to increase the diversity of clinical trial participation, particularly in IDD. How do you think about diversity in your research programs? And also, what are some of the obstacles you face in recruiting patients to clinical trials? I mean, I think diversity matters. And I mean, I think just like in medicine, where we want providers from all kinds of places that can maybe understand a patient's path, IBD is not the historical Caucasian disease anymore. You know, there was a study in Wisconsin where, even though in Wisconsin we're not as diverse as other states, the incidence of pediatric IBD mirrored the state population. So we are going to have more Hispanic patients with IBD. We're going to have more Black patients with IBD. So we need to make sure that we're not doing research only in patients who are Caucasian, because how do we know that all these therapies will work the same way? And I think making sure that we talk to our patients who are non-Caucasian and the fact that they know this and the fact that they can help make a change and help us figure out what's going to be the best for them. Because if we don't start now, maybe precision medicine, you know, we'll miss that out, you know, especially if we're looking at GWAS with biomarkers to find what's the right medicine for you. And at least with some of those trials we're part of where getting biomarkers, that's part of it. I tell patients, you know, the goal of this research it might not help you right now, it might help you later, but the goal is to help other people like you. You know, and I think a lot of patients with IBD, especially people who've struggled, who maybe were primary non-responder to a TNF, right? And they never had that long holiday period of being in remission and they know that struggle. If they know they could help someone else, I think that helps. Yeah, I completely agree. I think similar to what Aaron mentioned earlier, the ripple effect. So you want to include patients, a diverse population, so that these results are generalizable 
but also you want to offer patients a diverse population the opportunity to be part of a study. But I agree, a lot of times we're limited by the population or, you know, the breakdown of the city or state that we live in, because those are the patients who are going to come to you and who you're going to see. But it's extremely important. Certain populations have more severe phenotype, don't respond to certain medications, et cetera. And so it's important for precision medicine down the line to be able to help and not have a hundred percent or ninety eight percent of a certain subgroup. Absolutely. I think that helping to show patients that they would be paying it forward, not just the provider, because Freddie mentioned we can help with an intuitively designed trial. We can impact patients that we never know. And in the same vein, those patients can help others that they've never met. And that can be really special. I think if you guys might briefly comment just on community versus private practice involvement in clinical trials in terms of how that might look a little different, just as like a broad sweeping comment. I've always worked at a university program, but I also know that there are certain private practices that are extremely involved in clinical research. And also, I was lucky to have colleagues and friends in private practice where they, if they are aware that we at the university are conducting a study, they would refer patients to us and we would include their patients. And at the end of the day, it's a partnership to get the patients feeling better. So I think that more and more, we're seeing a lot of private practice groups becoming very involved in clinical trials and recruiting to clinical research programs. I mean, I think it's going to be, if we want to move the field forward, I think we need to engage community practices and, you know, industry and find a way to get them more involved because most patients with IBD are not seen at academic centers. Most patients with IBD get good care in community centers. There are some great people taking care of patients with IBD and they're very busy, but In order to move the field forward, I think everyone on this podcast would easily agree that IBD is like hepatology. It's that complicated now where we passed where you can dabble in IBD, you know, and I think more and more we need people that live and breathe IBD and are going to be able to take care of patients and keep up with everything. And that can only be in academic medicine because there's not enough of us. I'm sure there are many programs looking for more IBD people. And I think as a community, we have to do this together in order to move the field. Well, speaking of community, all of us were part of a new program launched by the AGA last year called the GI Clinical Trialist Bootcamp, which aims to increase the number and diversity of GIs who are involved with clinical trials. The thought is that diversifying the clinical trials workforce will ultimately help diversify patient participation. Do you think that this is an effective approach? I I mean, I can answer that first, and I'll tell you, being in Madison, Wisconsin, while we have some diversity, we don't have as much. And I can tell you, when I meet a Spanish-speaking patient, Spanish is my first language, you can tell the patient right away if they were anxious about a procedure or anxious about something else, 
just being able to communicate to them in Spanish. They thank me so much. And at times that's like, I didn't do that much. I'm just here working, right? And I think patients from all races or ethnicities, they at times, a patient with IBD is struggling, right? It kind of sucks. They have IBD and we're not meeting patients at their best. Different people cope with different ways. And I think just having comfort of maybe having someone that looks like you or has gone through the same cultural experiences that you have can provide some reassurance, especially for someone who maybe hasn't been involved in medicine where the U.S. medical system isn't perfect, right? We all know that it has its issues and it's hard to navigate that I think we need to diversify more and in every aspect for IBD. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, diversifying the research team definitely will help diversify the patients you recruit. People like Freddie sometimes relate or find comfort in identifying with their physician or the person who's trying to recruit them. You see that also with different races, ethnicity, even gender sometimes. So I think diversifying the research team is extremely critical. I think you bring up a really good point, Jana, because you're saying research team. So we all are principal investigators, sub-investigators on trials, but it truly is a team, a village put together. And so from the research coordinators to database managers. I think that diversity in those ways are so important. We maintain a database of contact information of patients that want to talk to other patients, especially those that are in trials or have experienced things like J-Pouch. And I think being able to match people up with like interests and histories makes a big difference. So a question I have for you guys is when we're doing clinical trials, Not every patient that you meet will look like you. How is it that we can share our cultures with other people, a part of our clinical team, in order to make sure that we're meeting patients where they are and giving them culturally appropriate care and opportunities to participate in these trials? I can take a stab at it, and I can tell you something I've learned along the way, because recruitment can be my biggest stressor, because At times, some of the studies we do are on fixed timelines. It's not like, oh, we have three years. We got like an influenza season, for et cetera. And along the way, talking about research became a standard. And I approached everybody and I told them, hey, this is what we're doing, whether it's a treatment trial and I bring it up as an option because I don't want to have any bias that just because whoever they look like or whatever they're doing, that they wouldn't be interested in research. I'm like, oh, this person's like an executive. They're really busy. There's no way they're going to be into it. Or any bias that we all walk into the room with. And I brought that approach to some of the research, what I'm doing. And sometimes we can offer vaccines and I kind of bring it up and say, hey, you need to get this. And by the way, we're also doing a study. If you would be interested in learning more information about it and what we would do, let me know. And I can have one of our research staff talk to you about it just so that they don't have to tell me no. And that becomes just a a norm that I talk to every patient about. And obviously, if someone tells me, no, I'm not interested, I might make a little epic note about it. But 
that way it just becomes normal, you know? So it's not like out of left field and there's some medical mistrust that like, oh, they want to take my blood for this. And it's just routine. He's going to talk to me about it every time. And they're like, oh, what vaccine study do you have now? You know, some of my patients will joke with me. Thanks for sharing, Freddie. I think we try to recruit a lot of our patients who we've already established rapport with. And so you've already known them and seen them. And then you sometimes I give them a heads up. Hey, we're going to be starting a clinical trial for patients who have a fistula. Let's touch base in a month or two. Try to see if you're eligible. Let me know if you want to read more about this, et cetera. So I kind of slowly introduce things. We don't have a tight deadline like Freddie does. I mean, we have three months of this <laughs> of this virus, <laughs> and we need to like try to get moving quickly. That's one. And then sometimes you get a sense that people aren't comfortable talking about it yet, but they may want to down the line. So I never try to push them or pressure them. I introduce the idea slowly. I tell them I can give them a call in a couple of weeks just to follow up, see if they want more information to read about it, have them meet our research coordinator, talk more about the study, questions they have, et cetera, and then meet again with them. So at the end of the day, we all have a common interest, even though we don't all look alike, we all have the same goal, which is trying to get the patient feeling better, both the patient and you. And they know that you're on their side. I always tell them, I'm on your side. I want what's best for you. And right now, I see that this is a great option. And if you need more time to think about it, that's completely fine. And I think clinical research lends itself well to shades of degrees of investigation. You know, there's registry trials that aren't so interventional. And so even if somebody might not look or sound or behave like a patient, those are kind of easing into the field. Are there other things that might motivate our colleagues, especially those in the community, to get involved in clinical trials? I think it's very important to partner with our community practice physicians. At the end of the day, this is really a teamwork and partnership to help our patients and to improve their outcomes. We'd be seeing patients in collaboration and in conjunction with our colleagues and recruit them into the clinical trial and then have them continue with their local gastroenterologist, hopefully getting them feeling better. Absolutely. The ones with whom you've established rapport, they'll continue. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a transfer. Agree. Thank you. What about you, Freddie? What do you think? How do you think we can get our colleagues to get more involved in clinical trials, especially those in the community? I think we probably need a more open dialogue because it's probably different things for different people. I mean, because you have people in the community like GI Alliances, which is this huge GI practice that have teams of dedicated for research and they have different goals, which is a very different goal than a six GI practice group in Wisconsin or Florida that, you know, they might want something else. So probably that's an unmet need that if we want to move the field forward, we probably need to ask our community colleagues what they want. And I bet we would find different things for many different people that I think our industry partners probably need to I mean, that would be a great area to focus because 
many industry partners are looking for new sites, right? Because there's not enough places where I think the fact that we have so many medical options, I think it's probably harder to find sites to say like, oh, look at this new molecule. Why should I do that? I have all these other ones where I think there are probably different needs for different groups and maybe industry can offer a different menu and say, hey, what do you need? You know, do you need coordinator support? We'll guarantee this much coordinator if you stop. Maybe some people want to be an author and be like, hey, I want to be the 30th author on that paper. And that will really motivate me. And I think just like everything, everyone's a little bit different, especially if you're not in academia where we have at least more support in academia to get this going right. I think one thing that perhaps a community provider might be able to consider is that by participating in clinical research, especially if it's a novel molecule or a head-to-head trial, as are becoming more common these days, it does provide you with the clinical experience that gives you a head start on prescribing beyond the clinical trial. So new agents that have been approved recently you could become more familiar with the lab monitoring that's required, what patients might be experiencing during the course of treatment. And so that's free learning in terms of how patients respond to medications simply by participating in the trial. So I think that it doesn't have to be investigator initiated. It doesn't have to be NIH funded necessarily. There's absolutely room in the community GI space for industry trials. Pharma wants to partner up. And so if one of our listeners today is feeling like they fit that bill, please reach out to your pharma representatives or to any of us, because it's definitely an opportunity, as you mentioned, Freddie. I have one last question for you guys. What do you think is the one thing that we need to do to move the needle on diversity and IBD trials? If you were to pick one, tough question, I know. That is a very tough question. And I think increasing the workforce is tough. And actually, we had this discussion in our division a while ago. And we can't do this for residents. I forget where the diagram is. There's the leaky faucet where you got to first get into medical school and then you got to get into residency. At Wisconsin, we're lucky where we have some kind of great programs where. I've encouraged my colleagues to be a part of where undergrads from underrepresented groups come and kind of see all aspects of medicine. You know, so they shadow a radiologist for a day, they shadow a GI doctor for a day, and they're not medical students, right? So they get to kind of see the plethora. and, And at Wisconsin also, the next level, we have a the mentoring program where every underrepresented minority in medical school gets matched up with a mentor. And they get to kind of, you know, just it's someone that they can talk to. Some want to talk more than others. Some want to meet less than others, but it's just someone that they can reach out to you. And at least all of us in this call, I'm sure we all have people in talking to us and interested in GI. And as someone who was trying to get into medical school initially and someone let me shadow them, I always told myself I'm going to say yes to anyone who just emails me if they want to shadow because you never know. And I think just getting the experience of what it's like and then, I mean, I love my job. I mean, I love GI 
I think it's a great field. I try and tell all the medical students that I see of like why I feel it's like a fun job. And I think we can't be doing this only in fellowship. I think we have to start at people who are interested in medicine because we can't wait to only get the uh, fellowship applicants. It seems like what you're saying, Freddie, is that we have to really make the investment in diversity in our workforce from the very beginning to really make an impact on increasing the diversity in our clinical trials. Do you have thoughts as well, Jana? Yeah, um, I mean, I completely agree with Freddie. That would be a long-term, uh, long-term plan. Perhaps a more short-term intervention would be having these education programs where we would basically invite all our patients to join, speak about the disease briefly, the opportunities, what our clinical trials look at. And by doing that, you, you know, you invite a lot of your patients, you put pamphlets out, you put them in the supermarket, you put them everywhere. And then you have patients coming in, they're all from diverse, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, et cetera. And everybody's attending this patient education conference. And these patients can come and bring their families and tell their friends. So perhaps that way you can also increase diversity recruitment into your studies. I think that's a really interesting approach from both of you. Freddie from the provider side and Jana from the patient side. That's a really nice yin and yang. Do you have any other comments you'd like to share? Yeah, thank both of you for doing the podcast. I think this is something that's needed and just having more and more conversations so that we can try and make more action items to actually make a difference, right? And even if we reach a couple people and they want to reach out and talk more about well, what do they do there? Or how did you do this? I think that's the point, right? And I think the fact that we're having these conversations more and more is great. Excellent. Well, thank you guys, Dr. Jana Al-Hashash and Freddie Caldera, and all of you for joining us on today's episode. For more information about AGA's GI Clinical Trialist Bootcamp, please visit www.gastro.org slash trialist. Be sure to check out the other episodes in our series on diversity and IBD trials. This program is made possible by support from an educational grant from AbbVie, Incorporated, Amgen, Bristol Myers Squibb Company, Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, Janssen Biotech, Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, and Takeda Pharmaceuticals USA Incorporated, and a quality improvement grant from Pfizer Incorporated. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope, an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.